Loved ones, it is good to be back with you. So thankful for you. Thankful for Nathan Penny coming in last week. Such a dear, dear friend of mine. And um, wow, praise the Lord. You were well fed from God's word. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. If you do not have a copy of God's word, please put up your hand. Our ushers are coming forward right now. And we want to put one of these Bibles in your lap. If you don't have a copy of God's word at home, Please take that as a free gift from us to you so you can continue as we were exhorted in just a few moments ago from John 15 to abide and to dive into God's word. And it is on our text tonight is on page 536 of those Bibles being handed out. 536. Well, the title of this message tonight is Contending for the Faith. And that leads us to a question as we start out tonight, church. Will you contend for the faith? Will you contend for the faith? Will we, as a church, contend for the faith? You may say, well, what does that mean? Let's get on the same page. Here's what it means to contend for the faith. It means to assert or to maintain earnestly to stand firm in the faith. It, contending for the faith does not mean we become a brute with the truth of God. It does not mean we bludgeon people with the truth of God. But we speak the truth in love and stand firm on that one gospel in our workplaces. Will you contend for the faith in your classrooms, students in your classes, in our homes, around our tables, in discipling our children, in our marriages? Will we contend for the faith on our sports teams and dance classes? Will we contend for the faith in our neighborhoods? Will we contend for the faith, here's a big one, in the face of criticism and opposition and alienation and even persecution? Will you contend for the faith? So here's what we have to realize, church. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus promised us in Matthew 16, 18, this unbreakable promise. He says, I will build my church. Jesus promised he would build his church. But, but here's the reality we need to remember rightly tonight. That doesn't mean we don't have to contend for the faith. In fact, the very promise of Jesus that he would build his church implies that we contend for the faith. It implies there's an enemy. It implies there's opposition. The gates of hell. And so the very promise of Christ to build his church gives us the implication and shows us God's plan that it is to build his church by his spirit. We cannot do it on our own. By his spirit through his people as we contend for the faith. That's how Jesus builds his church. It's been his plan from before even day one, since time began. Will you contend for the faith? It's a lot easier not to. It's a lot more safe, isn't it? Let's get something straight. Loved ones, just to clear up any doubt about this or confusion. 
The mission of God is not safe relationally. But you need to remember our souls are secure eternally. I'm going to say it again. The mission of God, living on a mission of God, to proclaim the gospel as the witnesses of Jesus Christ, it's not safe relationally. It will cost you relationships. And I look around this room and I know many of your stories, and I know that's true in your life as it is in mine. You take a stand for the gospel, it will cost you relationally. It's not safe relationally. This is why we must remember our souls are secure eternally in the hands of a living God who will never leave us or forsake us and none will snatch us from his hand. And herein lies the problem we face. You've probably already been wrestling with it. We are often fearful to contend for the faith, aren't we? Can we just be honest about this? Because then God can do business in our hearts. We're fearful often to contend for the faith, aren't we? Let's call it what it is. The fear of man outweighs the fear of God. It outweighs the fear of the Lord in our witness. And what is the result? A compromised witness. And as we'll see tonight, as Peter says, we end up actually standing in God's way. We stand in God's way of his gospel work and we hinder the advancement of the gospel in Jesus building his church. This is a sobering reality we need to come to grips with, loved ones. Here's the big idea we need to lock in tonight. Ready? To be a faithful witness, you must contend for the faith. If you remember nothing else out of the sermon, you get that, because that's what this entire text is focused on. It's the point. To be a faithful witness, you must contend for the faith. There is no faithful witness without it. And here, in our text tonight, this is what Peter, the apostle Peter, is faced with. Recall in Acts 10, little context for us, it's a new beginning for the church. The gospel is spreading like wildfire all over Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria. God has just, why, why, why? God has just done a miracle in Caesarea. Okay, you'll see a map on the screen. Hey team, make sure you put the big idea back up after so people can finish copying it. And Caesarea, there it is, on the coast in Judea, a miracle has just happened in the house of a Roman centurion named Cornelius, where upon hearing Peter, the leader of the early church, preach the gospel, this is awesome. This is awesome. Just go back and read Acts 10 if you want to fire up your faith. Cornelius and his entire household who heard and received the word are saved in Jesus Christ. And God pours out his Holy Spirit into each of them, just like he did to the Jewish believers in Acts 2 at Pentecost, just like he did to the Samaritans in Acts 8. Why did he do it the same way? Remember, church, to confirm that even Gentiles, that is non-Jews, at least the Samaritans were half-Jews, the Gentiles now, fully non-Jewish people, are to be included as full members of the church through Jesus Christ. This is breaking down massive Jewish barriers, cultural barriers between the two people groups, which caused a lot of hatred between them for a long time. It shows God, here's great news, God shows no partiality. That's great news. 
God shows no partiality. The gospel is for all nations. You need look no further than take a look around this room and you will see the gospel is for all nations. What a beautiful picture of heaven this room is right now. Praise the Lord. But what we're going to see in our text right now is not everybody's happy about this. Not everybody's happy about the work of God and what he's doing. And we're going to see through the witness of people. We need to lock in tonight, loved ones. Get our pens ready. Journals open. Bibles open. We're going to see through the witness of Peter three essential ways we must contend for the faith in the face of opposition if we are to live faithfully as witnesses for Jesus and not hinder the work of the Lord through our lives and through this church or stand in his way as he builds his church. You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Acts chapter 11. We're going to read the first four verses together. This is the word of the Lord. Let's read it nice and loud. Peter reports to the church. Verse one, let's go. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. First thing we see right here from these first four verses is this. A faithful witness contends for the faith knowing. First, they know. They know what? That criticism will come. Criticism will come. When you follow Jesus, loved ones, critics, and as we see even in our text today, right from inside the church even, will come. Will you stand firm in faith? You see in verses 1 to 4 here, news of what's happened in Caesarea, it has spread. You know, if they had social media back then, it'd be like Twitter, Facebook, Insta, TikTok, like every means. They didn't have any of that back then. But that would be the equivalent today. It is spreading like wildfire all over the place. And it spread all around Judea to the other members of the church in Jerusalem. Now, why is that so important? Because Jerusalem is like the mother church at this point. It is the headquarters of the church. It's where the apostles are, the leaders of the church. And you'd think, what do you think, wouldn't you think, loved ones, that upon hearing the news of God's work among the Gentiles, the salvation of the Gentiles, the mission being advanced, the church exploding, lives being changed for the glory of God, you would think there would be praise and excitement and thanksgiving to the Lord for his work, right? Especially by other Christians, you would think that. I, I was chuckling this morning in final sermon review. It reminds me of when almost 14 years ago, I started into pastoral ministry as a youth children and families pastor. And I was just so naive. I was like, everyone's going to be so thankful. You know, you're, you're preaching the word and everyone's going to be so thankful about God's work. And then the knives came out. I couldn't understand. What? God's at work. Same thing here.
Notice how the church responds when Peter gets to Jerusalem to update on what God's done. Go to verse 2. Notice who rises up. There's no mutual. You notice the text? There's no nice greeting. There's no, Peter, it's so good to see you again. Thanks for your faithful serving. Thanks for preaching that nothing. Notice what they do. He gets to the church and notice the circumcision party. Now, we don't know exactly who these people were, these men and women belonging to this party, but they were either Jewish Christians who were circumcised or they were a group of strict Jewish right-wing fundamentalists who held that Gentiles who wished to become Christians, they needed to be circumcised. If you're to be part of the church, you need to be circumcised. You have to look the same as us and go through the same things as us. That's still prevalent today. Let's not kid ourselves. And what do they do? Instead of embracing him as a brother, celebrating and praising the Lord for his work, just go to the text. What does it say? Starts with the letter C. They, say it, criticize him. They criticize him. The word criticize there means to confront, to contend with hostility. Literally, Peter walks in the door and it's like, all right, listen up. What? He's on this big spiritual high. Fingers come out. Why? Verse 3. For going with uncircumcised men, the Gentiles, and eating with them. Which was, according to Jewish custom of the time, a blatant breach of Jewish custom. You breach the custom, which has now become a preference, if you remember, Your actions, God's work doesn't line up with our preferences. What's comfortable for us for God to work in? So we're going to criticize you and try to conform you back to our way because that's more comfortable for us. Do you ever realize God often works in ways that are uncomfortable for us and pull us out of our comfort zone? Anyone, anyone? Maybe just me all the time. And instead of submitting to the Lord... And celebrating his work, it's so much easier just to criticize than change. Isn't it easier to criticize than change? It wasn't God's law. It was their custom, their preference. It's the the same partiality God's dealing with in the Jewish church is the same partiality he just dealt with in Peter's heart in Acts 10. He did it in Peter, and now he's showing Peter what Peter used to be like. Surely not, Lord. Surely not. How many of us today, loved ones, by the way, did you notice they totally missed the miracle? All these Gentiles just got saved. And because it didn't line up with their preference, it was, you've done something wrong. Cornelius and his entire house just got saved and baptized. It would be like us with our baptism service two weeks ago. Praise the Lord. It would be like someone coming in, seeing the baptism service two weeks ago and being like, yeah, I didn't like the chairs I was sitting on. They weren't comfy. Huh? Aren't we petty like this though? Let's be honest. And all God's people said, ouch. 
I didn't like the way that guy dressed. I didn't like the baptism t-shirt color. What? Happens all the time. How many of us are missing the miracle and minimizing the work of God because you're clinging to your preferences right now and because God's work doesn't fit in your tribe? Doesn't fit in the Jewish tribe. Live in the text. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Okay. It's a long way from Caesarea to Jerusalem, but you're in Caesarea and you have just had your life. Live in the text right here. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. You have just had your life radically changed by Jesus. And God has shown through salvation in Jesus, all of the old divisions between Jew and Gentile have come down. And God declared that he is the Lord of the Gentile believers just as much as the Jewish believers. There is no more clean or unclean. And you're Peter, and you know what's happening. <laughs> you know what's happening. You know, if you ever have a, an encounter with the Lord or something happens that's really exciting for you, and then you're like, oh, but I gotta go and tell that person about it. This is what's happening. Peter's like, this is awesome. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know the news has been spreading, and you're on that road to Jerusalem walking to update the rest of the church and you know you're going to see them again and they're not going to like what they hear because you didn't at first either. And you come from the same background. Do you think, do you, think you would know as you're walking along that road from Caesarea to Jerusalem, do you think you would know based on your own history and partiality in your own heart previously, you think you'd know you'd face some criticism? Maybe that's some of us at Christmas time, we go to visit our families. Or when we walk into the workplace on Monday morning. Or when we engage our neighbors, maybe even others in the church. You know you're going to face criticism, opposition, or hostility from the others. Who is that for you today? You know you're like, I'm walking into that and they're not going to like the fact I'm a Christian. Even others claiming the name of Christ because I did this instead of follow what they wanted. All of a sudden, it's not a sin against God, but they're clinging so hard to their comfort level, their tribe, their preferences, and you followed the Lord's call on your life. I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you. You're not alone. The Lord is with you. And they will criticize, and they may attack, and they may oppose. But will you stand firm on the gospel? Will you stand firm in your faith? Yet by faith, you go down that road anyway. You know it's going to cost you relationally, knowing what would be ahead of you as you proclaim the gospel and tell of God's truth. And then you get to church. And then you walk in that room where they're gathered, and all the eyes, the door opens. Here's Peter. He walks in. People are talking. And then all of a sudden, all eyes turn and look at you. And many start criticizing you. Would you go? Would you go? Will you go? Will you? 
knowing you'll need to contend for the faith in that moment. How about this week in the areas of influence God's entrusted to you? Your family? Family gatherings can be really hard when it comes to the gospel sometimes. Your coworkers, your boss. When you follow Jesus, critics will arise, even in your classroom. My sons, as they share the gospel in their classroom, they've been criticized, they've been ridiculed, they've been mocked this year. but they stood firm. Praise the Lord. By God's grace. When you follow Jesus, critics will arise. Will you stand firm in faith with unbelievers in your workplace, family, sports teams, classes, store, conversing on the bus or in the Uber when God gives the opportunity to declare his saving work through Jesus Christ, even if it means you're in the minority and there's a good chance that criticism opposition will come, will you stand firm? Or with believers, even other brothers and sisters in Christ, like what's going on right here in Acts 11, other brothers and sisters who claim the name of Christ, will you still speak, stand firm, and speak God's truth in love, and you're not sure even if they will receive it or not, knowing that they may criticize or be defensive or misunderstand you and your motives, maybe even accuse you of being judgmental. That's a big one today, isn't it? You're judging me. Actually, can we just clear up this whole judging conversation, please? Jesus says to judge with right judgment. Just check the Gospel of John if you're wondering. Right judgment is God's judgment. Use wisdom. Use discernment. It's not a judgment of condemnation. It's a judgment of evaluation. Remember that. Right judgment is a judgment of evaluation through God's word and God's truth. It is not a judgment of condemnation saying, I'm better than you. Do you understand? Are we clear on the judgment conversation? So please, when a loving brother or sister comes to you and speaks the truth in love, don't rear up your head and say, you're judging me. Stop. Thank you. And I pray, you know, that that brother or sister walking in sin, the Jerusalem church doesn't have the pure gospel on their hearts right now. There's a lot at stake. The purity of the church is at stake, just like it is today. The brother or sister walking in sin or not walking in integrity, they made a bad decision, holiness, or here's another one, like what Peter's facing right here, false doctrine in the church. Romans chapter 5, verse 21 is so clear as to why we must not let false doctrine permeate the church just to, quote unquote, preserve a relationship. Can you imagine what would have happened if Peter just tried to preserve the relationship with the circumcision party here? He would have backed down in a second. But that was actually false doctrine that needed to be addressed. And Romans 5.21 says, the fruit of all sin is death. The death of unity in the church, the death of purity in the church, the death of pure doctrine in the church that is not distorted or perverted, as Jude 7 says, death. Will you stand firm? Will you contend for the faith? And I pray this church right here, 
will never respond like what we see right here in Jerusalem. I pray for that. And so many of you, I know, respond very differently. And it is such a blessing as I pastor you to see this. That we would never respond like that. But when a loving brother or sister comes and speaks the truth and love of Christ into our lives, not with their own agenda, but under the authority of God's word, there's a humility. There's a a thankfulness. You know, Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Will you contend for the faith and stand firm as Peter did, or will you compromise in that moment? And you may say this, as I've said at times, it's so hard. Sometimes I'm afraid how that person might respond, what the consequences or outcome might be. But here's what we need to remember. You'll see it on the screen. Don't make people big and God small. Do not make people. That's why the fear of man takes a hold. That's why Proverbs 29, 25 says it's a snare. You're gripped in that fear because you've made people bigger than God. You know, I was thinking about this as an illustration. As a parent, for those of you who may not know, we have four boys. And there's a big difference when one of my boys goes to another, his brother, and says, you can't do that. You need to stop that. You need to give me that. Okay? Some parents can resonate in this room. Yeah, they're pastor's kids. You know about pastor's kids? They're kids. (laughs) They're just kids, okay? Take the pressure off my kids. They're just kids. But there's a very big difference when they go to talk with their brother. When dad has said, please go ask your brother to give you that or to stop that. There's a different swagger that leaves the room. That door gets open with a little more gusto. The stairs get thumped down with a little more security. And then they stand before their brother, shoulders back. Dad said, you need, yeah, you resonating, parents. You're resonating. That's what's happening here. Don't make people big in gospel. You have the, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, you have the king of the universe as your father. His authority goes. You have all of God's authority behind you when you cling and stand firm on his word. Every moment when you contend for the faith in the power of the Holy Spirit is a dad said moment. Dad said, the ruler of the universe said, and we do it in truth and love. We don't bludgeon people. We don't bully people, but we stand firm because of the authority that is behind us. A faithful witness contends for the faith, knowing criticism will come. And as you stand firm, even in the face of potential criticism or opposition, you contend for the faith. You must contend for the faith by point number two, declaring God's truth. Declaring God's truth, not your own preferences, not your own opinions, but declaring God's truth. See, the faithful witness sticks to God's truth. Sticks to God's truth. Question, will you? Will I? Let's look at 4 to 17. We're going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to summarize it in a couple sentences. Let's go, okay? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. 
fingers are pointing in his face, snarls, what are you doing? And here comes Peter, declaring the truth. But Peter began explaining to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, goes back to God's word, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse eight, but I said, by no means, Lord. Just like the Jerusalem church is saying right here. By no means. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth, but the voice answered a second time from heaven. What does he do? He goes back to God's word. What God has made clean, do not call common. Verse 10, this happened three times and all was drawn up again to heaven. He's testifying to God's truth. This is what happened. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. These are the other Jewish Christians who were with Peter, and they entered the man's house. So he's got six witnesses with him as he's coming back to Jerusalem. And he told us, Cornelius, how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. That's awesome. We'll get to more of that in a sec. 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Verse 16. Notice what he does. He sticks to the word. And I remember the, say it, say it. The word of the Lord. Not my own opinion, not my defensiveness, the word of the Lord. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? What a testimony. He sticks to it. See, upon being confronted by his brothers in the Lord and sisters, Peter contends for the faith. He contends for the, he preaches the true gospel right here. Don't miss that. The gospel is central here. By declaring God's word and what God had done, he summarizes all of Acts 10 with a few, did you notice it? With a few additional details added in that we didn't know previously. Verses five to 10, let's summarize it. He describes the vision or message God gave to him about no longer being any uncommon or unclean or, or clean people if they're saved in Jesus Christ. The wall of hostility has been torn down. And all Jewish law was fulfilled in Christ and was no longer to be a means of division in the church. No more distinctions, as he says, no more partiality. All are equal, united in Christ. Then he gets to verses 11 to 14. Hang with me. And he describes the reception he got from Cornelius. Now notice the addition in verse 14. Cornelius expands on what the angel told him in the vision. When the angel we read visited him in Acts 10, verses 4 to 6, and he says, Cornelius fills in the details, which is awesome, says that the angel told him that through the message Peter would declare to them, look at this, Cornelius and all who heard the word and received it in his household would be saved. Think about that detail. That's a big detail. If I'm Cornelius and angel's like, yep, you know what? Peter, he's up in Joppa. But go get him, because he's going to preach something, and when you hear it, you're going to be given eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and saved for all eternity. I'm going to get Peter. Isn't that an awesome detail? 
He's just like, God's like, yeah, you're going to be saved. That's a beautiful picture of the doctrine of election. He goes, you're going to be saved. You know, that person you're thinking of inviting to come to a service or to a prayer night or men's or women's ministry event, something like that. If God told them that, hey, you're going to be saved when that person invites you. You think they'd come? Yeah. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. And you never know how the Lord has already worked in the person you're thinking of witnessing to. Take this lesson from the text. You think, but they look so hard. Oh, Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He's not going to be interested in a little fisherman like me. Blah, blah, blah. You're going to be saved. God's already working. Peter had no idea that God had told Cornelius that. Peter just comes to the house faithfully and obediently. Opens his mouth. The Holy Spirit does the rest. Just an ordinary man in the hands of an extraordinary God. Awesome. Awesome. I wonder how that would, just think about this too. I wonder how that would embolden our witness. Would that embolden your witness if the one you were wanting to go witness to, God God had told you, yeah, I'm going to save them when you share the gospel. Would you go be bold? Why won't you now? You don't know how God's working in their life. Get after it, loved ones. Peter had no idea. God had already prepared the way. That's beautiful. Verses 15 and 16, then Peter declares God's work of how he was speaking. The Holy Spirit, the third person of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God Almighty himself was given to the Gentiles. Notice verse 15. It says, in the same way, or just as on the apostles and other disciples at the beginning, when the Holy Spirit was first given in upper room at Pentecost. Now notice the specific terms that Peter uses in this verse. Verse 15. He declares, notice what he does. He declares that Gentiles are just as much Christians as the apostles themselves. Just as on us. Look at the text, 15. They're just as much Christians as the apostles themselves the moment they receive Christ. There's no second-class Christian. Maybe you're thinking here and you're kind of like, well, that person looks way more holy than me. There's no second-class Christian. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? God, no partiality. You're, no matter your background, no matter your sin, there is, if you are saved in Jesus there is no second-class Christian. That is completely opposite from this world. That's amazing. In verse 16, Peter backed it all up again with God's word. He quotes from Acts 1.5. What Jesus told him in Acts 1.5, by declaring God's promise that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be given to all who believe, whether they're Jew or Gentile, at the moment of salvation, just like the Holy Spirit is given to us today at that moment of repentance and faith in Christ. Awesome. And then as a result, look at 17. Peter, oh, this is so good. Peter says, who was he? that he could stand in God's way. The word stand in God's way, you might think, well, isn't that really humanistic? Like standing, he's all powerful. What are stand in God's way means hinder God's work through you in advancing his kingdom. And you and I do it all the time because of fear of man. Hindering God's work in advancing his kingdom because of our fear. He says, I would have stood in God's way if I'm not affirming or baptizing these Gentile believers. God was flinging the door open to the Gentiles and I would have missed that. 
Same God, same gift, same way. Okay, assessment time. Assessment time, okay? Out of all that Peter declares to the Christians, okay, think of verses 4 to 17. Let me say it. Out of all that Peter declares to the Christians in Jerusalem, okay, ready? How much of it was him declaring his own opinion? Go like this if it's none of it, and go like this if there was a lot of it, okay? Okay, actually do this. None of it, a lot of it, okay? Pay attention, here we go. Out of all that Peter declares to the Christians in Jerusalem, how much of it was him declaring his own opinion? Lots? None. Great job. We're going to do this a couple more times. <laughs> How much of Peter's testimony, ready, was relying on his own abilities and arguments to convince those opposing him? Lots or little? Go. Yeah, you guys are good at this. Here's another one. How much of Peter's testimony was it declaring his own preferences? Lots or little? None. None. How much of it, Peter's testimony, let's do it again. How much of it was him getting defensive and criticizing those criticizing him? Lots or none? None. Zilch. What did he do? He stuck to the word. He stuck to the truth. He didn't get into a back and forth, yeah, well, you should argument. He didn't get defensive. He stayed humble. How much of it was spent? Okay, ready? How much of it was spent declaring God's truth? Lots or little? Go. All of it. All of it. You guys are great at that. How much of it was the gospel central in? All of it. Can I just give a little spoiler alert? When you contend for the faith, when a loving brother or sister speaks the truth of God's word to you and his work and declares the gospel, spoiler alert, to save you and others a lot of hurt and division, okay? Getting defensive with one another, loved ones, never does anything good. Ever. I'll say it again. Getting defensive when a loving brother or sister comes and takes the word of God and says, hey, I love you. I'm seeing this. I want to help you and bear that burden with you. Getting defensive and criticizing you this, you that. Or even when someone criticizes you and you want to point the finger back and go gossip about them and slander them to other people around. It never does anything good. Because, why, why? God will not bless your pride. Remember Romans 5.21. The fruit of all sin is death. No exceptions. Just because you claim the name of Christ. Peter knew what we must know today, church. There's only one message that can change the heart and mind of an opponent. The truth of God, the gospel. That's what he preaches. And if we declare and rely on anyone or anything else in our witness, we're just standing in God's way. And he will build his church and he'll raise up someone else, but you will miss 
what he wanted to do in and through you. And we'll give an account for that. The faithful witness sticks to God's truth. Question, will you, will I? God's truth or your arguments? When it comes to you contending for the faith, what are you declaring or relying on? What do you think? I got all my arguments in my holster. Do you have the gospel on your heart? you have God's truth ready to go? Ready to give an answer? What's the central message you're declaring? You know, to believers, are you teaching how the gospel has given them freedom over that sin and fulfills what they're seeking by engaging in it? To unbelievers, are you declaring how Jesus Christ offers salvation to all who would believe in him and how he came to earth fully man and fully God? No gospel distortion. This is pure gospel. There's a lot of false gospels out there. This is a pure gospel right from Peter's mouth here. He lived a perfect life, died on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, separates us from God, died, and three days later rose again, defeating death, the penalty of our sin, which ultimately leads us to hell without repentance. And now Jesus offers forgiveness, justification before God, peace with God to all who would repent of sin and confess him as Lord. No divisions, no matter who you are or what you've done. Loved ones, will you, will we as a church declare God's truth and stand firm upon it? And you may say this again, I'm fearful. Will it cost me my job? Will it cost me that relationship? What will that look like? You may say, I'm fearful. I just want to encourage you in this moment. Verse 16, go back. Peter says, and I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice just as the whole, how many times do we get into a witnessing opportunity where you're like, I'm so afraid, I'm going to back down because I won't know what to say. I won't have the right words. You ever done that? I've done that. I won't know what to say. I'll just kind of bungle it and make a mess of things and look like a fool. Watch, notice, verse 16. Just as the Holy Spirit brought to mind the word of God to Peter in his moment of need, you think I remembered the word of the Lord as a coincidence? No, the Holy Spirit brought it to mind in that moment. Listen to this. He will do so for us today as we contend for the faith in him. Look at John 14, 26. I love this. When Jesus is describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he says, but the helper, after Jesus dies and rose again and ascended to heaven, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send after his ascension in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I've said to you. That's good news for witnessing. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings it to remembrance. And notice, just like with Peter, here's what's implied in this truth. Don't miss this. Just like with Peter, the more of the word, don't miss it, church, the more of the word that is in you, the more of God's word the Spirit can bring to remembrance through you. It's kind of like students, they're in exams right now. <clears throat> we would be foolish to think you don't need to study and it's just going to come to mind. And every parents are like, amen. <laughs> we would be foolish to think that. That things are going to just pop into our heads when we haven't studied it. Same with abiding in God's word. The more of God's word the Spirit will speak through you when the more of God's word you have in you, the more there is for him to bring to remembrance. Because here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. You can't declare what you don't know. 
How are you going to declare it? You don't know it. And it's a sobering stat, one of the most recent stats on this. 85% of professing Christians don't even read their Bible every day. How is he going to bring it to remembrance? There's nothing to remember. What's the next step? He says, work out your salvation. You say, well, is this works? But no, this is the fruit of salvation in one's life. You want to get in God's word. He says, work out your salvation. Fight the good fight of the faith. Resist the devil and he will flee. This is how. What's the next step for getting God's word in you? Maybe it's your daily abiding, as Joel read from John 15. Maybe you need a reading plan. Adults, we have reading plans on our website. I do the uh, Robert Murray McShane plan. I love it. I'm going through it right now. You can get that off our website. It's not too late to start that. Youth, we have youth reading plans, 180 reading plans. Go on the Hope Youth website, God Time 101. Packed. It's all there for you, but you need to use it. Here's another one. What's, not, what's your next step for getting God's word in you? Maybe attending services in person. Coming under God's word together with the saints to be stirred up and encouraged in the Lord, not forsaking to meet together. Or how about this in your small group? It's so easy just to say, small group's the first thing to go. Loved ones, check that against God's word. You won't find that excuse. It's always the first thing to go. Prayer nights? Nah, it's just prayer night. Mm -mm. Listen, every time you choose to do what God's priorities are in coming together, you choose to contend for the faith. Every time you get up in the morning and you'd rather sleep in, but you crack open God's word, you're choosing to contend for the faith. Every single time. And the spirit will use it and bring it to remembrance. A faithful witness contends for the faith, knowing criticism will come, declaring God's truth. And lastly, this, you guys have been great. Let's hang on, verse 18. Lastly, by doing this, believing, knowing, declaring, believing, what? That God will be glorified through that witness. As the gospel goes forth, God will bear fruit. Here's the question facing you and I that's confronting our unbelief. Will you trust him that God will do the work of the word? Verse 18, watch, oh, this is magnificent. Highlight verse 18, church history changing moment, family history for those saved in Christ changing moment. Watch verse 18. When they heard these things, they heard the truth of God, they heard the gospel, the pure gospel proclaimed, what do they do? They fell silent, critics silenced. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life, a 180. And Peter didn't get defensive. He didn't criticize that. He stuck to the truth and stood firm. See, after Peter finishes declaring God's truth, the gospel to them, the Jewish Christians have nothing to say in opposition. Then instead of launching more criticism at Peter, even though they didn't understand all the ramifications of this Jew-Gentile one-church deal, And there would be tension later on as they were figuring out how to relate to the Gentiles, as we see in Acts 15. What do they do right here? They glorified God. Glorified God means they praised, they honored, they magnified and affirmed that God gave repentance and life to the Gentiles too. See, God gave repentance. We can't muster up repentance on our own. 
It has to be God-given. As witnesses, this should be a huge encouragement to us, knowing that you can't cause someone to repent. Only God can. You can't change a mind. You can't change a heart. But as the Spirit brings the Word of God to remembrance, He does the work of God in the one you are witnessing to. Awesome. So much pressure off in witnessing. When you stick to God's Word. They affirmed that God gave repentance and life to the Gentiles. Don't miss it. This is a huge moment in church history. Right here. Turning point. Family history. Considering all of the hatred and hostility that existed between the Jews and Gentiles. In fact, one commentator went so far as to say, this is one of the most shocking admissions in all of Jewish history. Verse 18. The mission of God depended on this happening to expand. Otherwise, it would stop but God, amen, but God. The door was now flung wide open for the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth. Now live in the text, sobering moment. What would Peter have missed if he had buckled under the pressure? If his mouth became closed because of the criticism, what would he have missed in this moment? If he gave in to fear and opposition and not declared the truth of God? This, now, This massive move of God was just waiting to happen. But Peter had to stand firm if he was going to be used by God to see it. God's going to build his church. And if you and I aren't faithful, he will raise someone else up who will be. But there may be a massive movement of God in your workplace waiting there. Will you open your mouth and stand firm and stick to God's truth? How will they hear unless someone preaches? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There may be a massive move of God waiting around your dinner table with your child. Will you open the word or will someone else need to lead them there? Think what he would have missed. Okay, I'm afraid I'm just going to cultural conformity, stick to the customs, preserve the relationship If he decided that instead of submit to God's authority, how much are we missing today? Think of this. How much are you and I missing today with those whom God has put around us because we've made them big and God small? This is where we got to start. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Students in your classroom, you go all out. You go all out. There may be a massive move of God waiting on Monday but will you stand firm? See, as the gospel goes forth, God will bear fruit, but will you trust him? And let's clarify this. It may not mean that those opposing or criticizing you will come to saving faith in that moment or even in your lifetime. You may never see the fruit of your gospel witness. Are you okay with that? You may never see the fruit, but what God makes clear here and all throughout his word is that as his word goes forth, it will not come back void. He will bear the exact fruit he desires in his time and way to fulfill his mission as we are faithful in his power to contend for the faith. And notice this, just as our savior, our author, our perfecter, our role model, Jesus Christ did perfectly. Do you think Jesus knew the criticism would come? Thumbs up if yes, thumbs down no. Did Jesus know the criticism would come? Oh yeah. Yet Jesus, did he declare God's truth unwaveringly by faith no matter the opposition? Yes or no? Yes, and Jesus believed that God would be glorified. 
and would build his church for his glory. And here's the most encouraging thing as we finish. Encouraging. Eyes up here. Eyes up here, loved ones. Now Jesus empowers us to live this way too. You have the spirit of Christ inside of you if you are saved. And he empowers us to live this way. But will you trust him? One more time on the screen. To be a faithful witness, you must, we must, as a church, contend for the faith. Let's go, church. Let's go. Let's pray. Hey, Joel, before we pray, I was so blessed by that one gospel song we sang. Can we do an encore of that for the closer tonight? Thanks. Lord Jesus Christ, you are awesome, and you are holy, and you are righteous. I am so encouraged from this text right now. And I pray over all this place there would be a sweet conviction of the Spirit leading to repentance of where we have made people big and you small. Where our fear has trumped our faith. And Lord, I pray for a sweet conviction those who do not yet know you to know that they are living under deception, oppressed by the devil and afflicted. And you offer them life. just like you did to the Gentiles, like you did to the Jews like you did to so many in this room, you offer them life and forgiveness and freedom through repentance of their sin, turning from it, turning to Jesus Christ and confessing him as Lord and Savior. And I pray today would be the day. Pray today would be the day there'd be no hearts hardened to the truth. And so as we sing this last song, oh Lord, I pray it would be so much more than just words on a screen but it would be a resolve of the heart to say there is only one gospel on which I stand. I'm not gonna stand on my fear of man. I'm not gonna stand on my own arguments and preferences. I'm not gonna stand on my own comfort. I'm not gonna stand on my own desires and selfish agenda and defensiveness. There is one gospel on which I will stand. The gospel, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will contend for the faith in his name, by his power, for his glory. May it be so, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, let's stand and respond with, respond with a shout of praise.